Well, I invite you, church, to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 55. Psalm 55, that is where we will be this morning. Psalm 55. Well, Westmount, we are in a time of trouble. For some, these past few months have been a time of worry, a time of fret, a time of anxiety. Far from peace, minds have been filled with questions, with turmoil, and with uncertainty. COVID-19 may be quieting our busy lives, slowing us down, keeping us home on the outside, but for many, their lives have been anything but peaceful on the inside. Yes, this virus for many has added a lot of things, and one of those things it's added, actually, is anxiety, fear, worry. Maybe today, and think with me, we're a good two months into this pandemic, maybe today you're facing a crisis, an emergency of worry, a situation that needs first aid and attention. Maybe today your 911 is made up of questions such as this. What if this virus is really bad? What about tomorrow? What about my health? What about the health of my loved ones? What if things are never the same? What if? What if? What if? You're troubled with an array of questions, and you don't know where to land. And with that, you just keep coming back again and again to the big questions, such as these. How can I find assurance in these times? Where can I find peace? That is both a good question and, beloved, here it is, that's an important question in this pandemic. As such, church, in these worrisome times, I want to tell you that there is also a good answer and an important answer to that question. Today, we return to our spiritual first aid series, and thus, by doing so, we return to the Word of God. The Word of God. We've been applying first aid, spiritual first aid, via God's Word in this time of pandemic. And today, in this crisis of worry and doubt, we will look to God's word again for aid. The psalm that's open in front of you is Psalm 55. One written, I want you to look right at the top of the psalm. You will see after your Bible might have its own subheading, but you're going to see another heading, if you will, maybe in a different font. That's inspired text, and it gives so often the context of Psalms, and the one I want to draw your attention to in Psalm 55 is the author, right at the end, by David. By David. David wrote this psalm, and listen, he wrote this psalm in a time of trouble. You think quickly now on David's life. This is at the time of David's life when his son Absalom, his own son, rose up in rebellion against not only the king, but against his own father. Absalom conspired against him. And not only was Absalom his own son uh, conspiring against him, his most, David's most trusted counselor, Ahithophel, his most trusted friend, rose up against him, betrayed him. All of that is recounted, by the way, in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. Those two chapters describe the context for this psalm, this time of trouble. David's world is closing in on him, bitter betrayal by both family and friend. And it's described right here. You might say, how do we know this? Let's look right in the psalm, right in the middle of the psalm. Look in verse 12. Listen to the words of David. 
For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. Right? So this is not a Philistine doing this. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But who is it? Verse 13. But it is you, a man, my equal. And here it is, my companion, my familiar friend. And then this, we used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. You have a picture where maybe Ahithophel and David walked and they took counsel together. This is his familiar friend. And now, as again, the, the account in 2 Samuel 15 and 16 tell us, not only Absalom but Ahithophel now turn against David. And now here's the context of this writing. This then is not just betrayal. This is upheaval. This is those closest to David turning his world upside down, turning on him turning on him. The once familiar to David, grab this, the once familiar to David is now feared. Those that were close to him, he now fears as enemies. David's life, again, is upside down. And here it is. David's life in this context is filled with uncertainty. Do you resonate with that today? The familiar has turned upside down. You're very uncertain. When we turn to David, how does David feel about this upheaval? How does David feel in light of that kind of trouble? Well, he tells us. Look at the opening verses of this psalm. Start in verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. He's crying out to God. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy. Because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. This opening stanza demonstrates to us the condition of David's soul. David says, look at verse 2, he is restless. Verse 3, he is troubled. Verse 4, he is in anguish. More pointedly, look at verse 5. David says he is afraid and trembling. And look at this descriptive clause with horror overwhelming him. Beloved, David is in trouble. He's uncertain. David looks at his surroundings in complete upheaval, and he is filled with trouble. He is filled with worry. And again, I ask you, do you relate to those words today? Do you relate to that soul condition? I'm not talking about on the outside, what's presented to the world, the things you need to say, right? The things a Christian should say during a pandemic. I'm talking about what's going on in your heart, the deep troubles of your soul, Do you too look around and inside you is there fear and trembling? Do you, Christian, have moments where you just simply feel overwhelmed? Overwhelmed. Beloved, you know worry. You understand the weight of cares and burdens. I can say that with certainty because of this psalm and especially verse 22. Verse 22, if you look at it now, that's where we're going to zero in on today. That's going to be the bulk of our time in that one verse this morning. Because this verse is a response near the end of this psalm to these conditions. Conditions of trouble, conditions of worry, conditions of anxiety. Let's look at verse 22. 
It says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Here in this one verse, we see a very necessary and timely response to worry. It is a response that we would call this, if we were to call it something this morning, a matter of perspective on worry. A matter of perspective on worry. It's a matter of perspective that has four angles. There's four angles to this perspective on worry. And each angle, I pray, beloved, will be a help and an encouragement to you this morning. So let's begin with the first. The first angle is this, the common reality. The common reality. The opening words, look at verse 22 again, say this. Cast your burden. Cast your burden. We need to stop there. And that's noteworthy because of what, again, we say this so often when we're studying the text, what it doesn't say. I want you to look at those three words. What does it not say? It doesn't say, if you have burden, cast. It doesn't say, to those that are burdened, cast. And it doesn't say, in case of burden, cast. No, it says nothing of the sort. In fact, it plainly what? It assumes the reality of burden. It assumes the reality. Look at it again. It assumes, yes, you. It assumes that you, reader, have burden. In fact, this verse is rooted in the common reality that we all have burdens. I want you to look at that word burden. Translated, if you have an NIV, it says cares. Uh, That's good too. Burden, cares, means troubles. It means concerns. And it means this. Let's get pointed. The word, like burdens, means the things that weigh you down. The things that weigh you down. A word of cares means things that occupy your thoughts. Right? What are your cares that are on your mind? What's the occupation of your mind? That word, burden, there means worry. And its place in this verse tells us, here it is, that everyone has them. Everyone has a worry. That's right. Everyone. Everyone has burdens that weigh on them. It's just a reality right here. Now, for some of you, when you hear that and you look at it in the verse, maybe it's a relief to hear that. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. Maybe it's a relief to others of you, and I know this is true. That's offensive. You would say, well, I'm carefree. I don't have any worries. And some of you would say, you were made to worry. And we have all kinds of endearing words like worry wart and such to describe such people. Others would say, worrying is for the weak. Worrying is for the weak. Those things are not of me. Yet this verse here, look at it in Psalm 55, 22, is the great equalizer. We need to take up any protests with the word of God. The word of God assumes that all of us have worry. All of us. I pray that's an encouragement to many of you today. It assumes, beloved, the common reality of burden. It implies that all of us, no matter what you're stead, poverty or prosperity, all of us have cares. New Testament, by the way, confirms this. Let me ask you something. When you think of the Apostle Paul, do you think of him as a man who worried? Do you think of the Apostle Paul as a worrier? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. Chapter 11. As you get to the end of his second letter here to the Corinthians, Paul is defending his apostleship. Now, I want you to think about that. You have these false teachers throwing stones at Paul, saying he's not legitimate and all of these things. 
And as the second letter to Corinth unfolds right at the, the very end of the letter, Paul gives the most passionate defense of his apostleship. In fact, as we pick up the account in 2 Corinthians 11, let's start in verse 24. He says this, he says, you want to talk about living for Christ. He says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift on sea. He continues, the next year he goes on and on and on. A graphic description of his suffering as an apostle. But then he says this. Look very carefully in verse 28. After all of that, now let me ask you something. That would cause anxiety, would it not? That's the kind of thing that would keep me up at night, you might say. The threat of lashes and stoning and shipwreck. But then look at this in verse 28. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Yes, Paul was anxious, but who is he anxious for? The churches. Now, we're going to come back to that truth later, the object of his anxiety. What we want to say right here, though, is the fact that he is dealing with anxiety, period. That this is reality, again, that's a common reality, including the apostle Paul. He has a burden, and it's an anxiety, just stated plainly here in 2 Corinthians 11. And now he's dealing with anxiety for these churches. Paul is anxious for congregations like Galatia, like Colossae, like Corinth. And you can imagine as you read those letters, you see his anxiety for those precious saints. Likely, Paul was dealing with his own bag of what-ifs. What if false teachers come? What if they don't obey God's word? Paul was dealing with anxiety. I mean, Paul's letters reveal the myriad of his cares and his burdens for the churches. Now, again, I want to be clear, the object of his anxiety, which is very important in this passage, we're going to come back to that later. But for now, what we're doing, in line with the first part of Psalm 55, which we can turn back to, in line with the first part of Psalm 55, verse 22, we're just simply showing in the rest of Scripture that anxieties are common to all men. Now, it is true for Paul, and again, and I ask this all the time, how much more true Christian for you? If it's true for the Apostle Paul, how much more true for you? We all have worry. We all have anxiety. And even more, again, as we look now back at Psalm 55, verse 22, look at it again. It just says, cast your burden. There is no condition on that. The burden that you do have, Christian, is a common reality. That's one piece, one angle of worry important for us. Let's look at the second in this verse. We've looked at the common reality. Now let's look at the commanded response. Look at the beginning of verse 22. It doesn't just imply that you have burden, does it? It doesn't just say, well, you know, everyone has burdens. No, what does it say? It says, your burden, look, take your burden, take your anxiety, and do something with it. And what is that? The verse says, cast them to the Lord. Cast them to the Lord. In other words, burdens are not meant for us to bear, to buck up under alone. In other words, there's no badge of honor to say we don't have worry and then say I don't need anybody. There's no badge of honor in Scripture that says that's to be applauded at all. In fact, the Word of God makes clear if the reality of burden is for all men, then there's a command for us very clearly that we are to do something with it. If we're obedient Christians to the Word of God, we're to give those worries to the Lord. And saying that, beloved, let me remind you of a few biblical truths. God is in the business of bearing burdens. That's who he is. He's in the business of bearing burden. That is why he sent his son into the world. 
That's precisely the the reason why he came down, to bear the burden for his people, did he not? Matthew 11, 28, consider this call from our Savior. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The implication, right, is that there is burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. And then this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an encouragement. Come to me, Jesus says, which by the way, in Matthew 11, come to me is a command. That's a command from Jesus to come to him, to cast your burden on him for salvation in Matthew 11. The worry and concern of our sin, because the worry and concern of our sin for those that God is drawing to himself, if you're under that burden this morning, that anxiety of the second death that you will face, right, what you deserve, I urge you in that to cast that burden on Jesus, to take up Jesus on this call to embrace his yoke. I encourage you, I compel you and urge you to turn and repent from your sin and embrace his peace. That's the call from Jesus. Think about the the absolute application of that in times like this where we're not granted another day. Turn from your sin and embrace his peace. Yet, that call for salvation, that burden bearing of salvation is not the only burden bearing that God does. You think about the endless ways we count the greatness of our God. It's not one and done. It's not like he pulled us up off drowning off the shore and left us there and said, I've got things to do. That's not your God. No. Turn to Matthew 6. Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, of course, begins or is embedded in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at that before. In fact, that was the first passage we went to to start the series when we were talking about salvation. But Jesus does so much more than just talk about salvation here. He's teaching uh, those that are hearing and listening what it means to follow him, learning about what it means to be a disciple. Jesus says, not just the burden of salvation, and again, we've talked about that, but the daily cares of life. Disciple of Jesus, if that's you today, Jesus has something to say to you about that. Matthew 6, let's pick it up in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus pointedly says, don't be anxious about those things. Now, we continue with him, right? He's not just saying don't. He's giving us some clear instruction. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Consider the provision of God to the birds, the soulless birds. Are you not of more value than they, you made in the image of God, you soul bearer? Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? We're going to come back to that. That is the great folly of anxiety. By fretting over now, you can't add another minute to then, to tomorrow. Let's scroll on down to verse 31. Jesus will continue with clothing and an illustration about that. Then he says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Gentiles in this context would have been all of those that weren't God's people, God's original chosen people. 
Jesus is saying, look, what's common to all men is not just burdens, but the cares of life. And if God provides for those that aren't even his, and think about how true that is, if he provides for those that don't even call upon the name of the Lord, Christian, how much more for you? How much more for you? And after all that about what not to be anxious about, he gives this, and this is very point. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's your casting. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is casting your burden on him. And not only casting on him first and foremost, it doesn't mean you don't do anything else. It doesn't mean you don't get help from the doctors or you don't lift the shovel or you don't drive and do what you need to do. No, it says first and foremost, for your anxiety and worry and burden, you turn to the Lord. Seek first the Lord. Seek first the Lord. And I would submit, beloved, lovingly, that is simply just not happening en masse in the church today. Many people are seeking the Lord, but they're not seeking him first. Seeking him first. Seek first, Jesus says, the Lord. And turn back to Psalm 55. Christian, casting your burden on God in Psalm 55, 22 is your daily command. It's your daily command. Jesus taught it. His disciples taught it. Just by the way, a reminder, 1 Peter 5, 7, the apostle Peter said, cast all your anxieties on him. Same thing as Psalm 55. From Peter, what about Paul elsewhere? Nathan read for us Philippians 4 this morning. Philippians 4, so pointed with anxiety. Do not, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, here's what we're to do. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Cast your burden on the Lord. Cast your burden on the Lord. Westmount, give your worry to God. Cry out to him. And listen, when you're done crying out to him, do it again. And when you're done doing that, do it again. Cry out, ongoing, repeated pattern. Cry out to God. There are no qualifications on any of these passages for certain times or conditions. In fact, if we want to talk about a qualification, I think about Philippians 4, it says when? Always in everything. That's the condition. It's the manner of life. That means this is your life, casting your burden on the Lord. Christian regular ongoing petition is not only called for, but I would submit to you it's necessary for you. Built-up anxiety in your body is like a toxin in your bloodstream. Charles Mayo, many of you know the Mayo brothers, Charles Mayo, who along with his brother founded the Mayo Clinic, said this, Worry adversely affects the circulatory system, the heart, the glands, and nervous system. I never knew anyone who died from overwork, but I sure know many who died of worry. Worry affects the physical body. And you say, well, I don't see that in Scripture. Proverbs 12.25 says this, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Yes, cares and worries pent up. If we deny them, if we hang on to them, it affects our physical body. And friend, maybe this morning you're feeling weighed down today. Maybe you feel that. It's very real, that oppression of anxiety, that burden, that care, that fear. God does not want you to be weighed down. He says, give me your worry. Cast your burden on me. That's the commanded response in this verse. The common reality, commanded response. Let's look at another angle of worry, the continuing result. 
the continuing result. So we cast our burden on the Lord, and what's the result of that? Look at verse 22 as we keep reading, and he will sustain you. Again, we must first note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, cast your burden on the Lord, and your burden will go away. It doesn't say, cast your burden on the Lord, and the circumstances will get better. No, again, there's nothing like that here. That is what we want it to say. Is that not true? We want that to be the case, right? We want that instant one-to-one, do this, get that. That's what we want. And in fact, beloved, I'd submit to you, I wonder how much added burden is on your shoulders because of misunderstanding to the ways of God. How many cast their burden on the Lord, but just do it expecting a certain result? How many think burden-bearing is actually burden-removing? Church, look closely at this verse. That is not what the verse is saying, is it? What does it say? God's word clearly says, cast your burden on the Lord and what? He will sustain you. He will sustain you. That does not mean he'll remove it from you. But he'll enable you to remain under it. Right? It doesn't mean he'll remove it from you, but he'll enable you to remain under it. He will sustain you means circumstances may and very likely will remain. Burden is still there, but instead of bearing on your own, and that's the picture where it's just you trying to hold it all up, Almighty God comes under with you and holds it up for you. Instead of that, God says here, I will hold you up. God says to you, I will hold you fast. I will sustain you. I want you to see that word sustain there. The Hebrew word behind sustain there means to contain, to clasp, to hold in. That's what it means. It refers to being held very tightly right where you're at. Not elsewhere, not being removed. It actually means you're right where you are. And I wonder, I wonder, how often our anxiety is mostly because we didn't get what we thought we'd expect. We didn't get the things we wanted. I wonder how much of anxiety springs from that. I wonder how much anxiety is because you say, I keep begging God to take it away and he doesn't. We want the burden to go away. We really, deep down, just want it to be removed. We want to hit rewind. We want it all to disappear. And sadly, can I submit to you, Westmount, many, many errant churches and false teachers profess to do just that. Like God is some genie in a bottle. Incant this Say that, do it this way, hold out your hand that way, and presto, you get whatever you want. Instant burden removed. That is what you get in a culture that tells you that, yes, you can have whatever you want. You can have anything you want. We are just swimming in it. It would be folly to think that we're not affected by that in some way. And then it would be folly to say that we don't bring any of that expectation to our prayer life. Beloved, we do. I do. We need to check our hearts all the time about what we're going to with God. Sure, we say we're praying, but we're really doing what? We're requesting. We're requesting. We come with the wrong motives. James 4 tells us that. We come with wrong desires to the Almighty God. We come to God with our imperfect fallen will and want the Almighty perfect will to be submitted to our imperfect will. And look, I'm not saying we can't plead with God for things. Don't mishear me today. That's not what I'm saying. Even the most godly asked for requests, and God wants that. But we're talking about motives, and ultimately we're talking about what God will do even with righteous requests. Turn again to Second Corinthians. 
We're talking about righteous requests. Again, you look to the Apostle Paul, and maybe you're surprised that he had anxiety, but I want you to also know that he prayed to God for some of that anxiety, some of those burdens and concerns. The very next chapter, we looked at chapter 11. In the very next chapter, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. The Apostle Paul doesn't just plead for anxieties once, but three times. He had an issue with his burden and concern. Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, so here's God's response to this righteous request. There's nothing wrong with Paul saying, please, this really is something. God says, here's this response. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. Jesus responds to this response and says, Look, you have all you need. I hear you, right? You can see, hear him say that as a beloved child of God. I hear what you're saying. I know what you're going through. But I want you to know you have something even greater than just being plucked from it. Look what he says. My grace in that moment, my upholding is sufficient for you. In fact, look what he says. That power is made perfect in your weakness. That's the response of God. Paul has a burden, and he rightly casts that burden on the Lord. And the Lord, what, makes it go away? The Lord removes the thorn? No, God sustains. God says, my grace is sufficient. And that means for us, beloved, if it's true for Paul, we can ask three times, we can ask seven times, we can ask every time, and the answer will always be the same. The Lord will sustain. The Lord will sustain. The Lord will sustain every time. And that means, church, as the Lord said to Paul, you will receive what you need. This is the precious doctrine of the sufficiency of Christ. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. He is sufficient. He is our everything. Listen, he's precisely what we need, right, in the moment. We want to look at the whole burden, the whole crisis, the whole pandemic right now. Jesus says, right now you have it with me. Every single moment, my grace is sufficient. One of the struggles, let me submit to you, I, you know, many of the men will tell you, I personally struggle with this. There are no timelines here. I struggle with not knowing what my summer will look like. I struggle with not knowing what next week will look like. So, beloved, I submit to you this morning my own struggles, my own burdens. I want a blueprint. I want a roadmap. I heard the government order, and I'm frustrated like you. I want dates. I want timelines. I need to know. But God, through his authority, says, you don't need to know. My grace will sustain you for every day of this pandemic. God's sufficiency, as we saw in Matthew 6, is that he will get you, Christian, through market today. That's what God says. I will get you through today. God's sustaining hand deals only with the present, moment by moment. Beloved, that is the continuing result. Ongoing sustaining from God. Every time he will sustain you. We look again at Psalm 55, one more angle, one more piece. The confident rest, the confident rest. Psalm 55, 22 ends with this promise. Look at the second half of the verse. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That is your picture of stability, certainty, and assurance. Those are all the things that seem to be, are they not so elusive to those that struggle with worry? You say those words, stability, certainty, assurance. Those are the things the worrier says, I I don't know any of that. I I can't feel that. I can't know it. In fact, when you think about those common traits to the worrier, I want you to think of another one very physically. 
It's not surprising. The most commonly associated physical trait with the worrier, the anxious, is what? Trembling. That's the physical picture of the anxious, right? The trembler. That's our picture. The fearful, huddled over and shaking. We've all been there. That may be the classic picture of the worried, but listen, it is not the picture in the Bible. God says of his own, often his own called the righteous, right, which refers to our position in him, our position in Christ. God says of my own of righteous, I will never permit the righteous. I will never permit them to be moved. That means if you have an NASB or an NIV, it means you will never be shaken. That's your picture. You will never be shaken. You will be immovable. Immovable. This verse means as God's child, you have a promise that you simply must not miss right here. I want you to look at those words, three words, he will never. Do you see that? Again, we dip into the Hebrew and the expression behind that, the expression that's low in the imperfect is the the sense of permanent negation. When you see this construction in the original language, it tells you something when you're studying God's word. It says that means absolutely never. In other words, I could render it this way. What what are these words telling us under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit? God is saying this, I will never, ever, under any condition or for any reason, ever let my child be moved. That's what the Word of God is saying to you. That's a promise. It's confidence and more confident rest. I want you, as we sidestep for a moment, to take a journey with me to the Midwest United States. Many of you are familiar with the expression Tornado Alley. I want you to picture that you're just touristing down there, you're vacationing down there, and before you know it, you're seeing these wonderful wheat vistas. All of a sudden, a tornado comes upon you. And you happen to be, even with camera in hand for that moment, you're standing square in the path of a tornado. Here it comes. It's bearing down. You have no time to get out of the way. It's it. It's just come upon you. And I want you to picture as a tornado comes upon you and you recognize you're in the eye of the storm and you can't get out. You physically can't get out. I want you to picture that you're just standing there and that eye comes upon you and you watch camera, maybe hat, home, car, cow, cattle, all swarming around you all uplifted by this unbelievable force of nature. And where are you? You're right in the eye of the storm, and you haven't moved an inch. Your feet are square on the ground. You're watching chaos abound around you, but you are not moving. That is your picture of this verse. He will never permit the righteous to be shaken. God doesn't make the tornado go away. God doesn't preserve your stuff, even your accessories. But you, beloved, you are immovable. You will never be shaken. You don't move an inch. That is precisely what is described. Jeremy read Psalm 46 this morning. So fitting. Psalm 46, the psalmist confidently says this. Now listen again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, 
in the midst of all of that chaos, like a tornado, like a hurricane, then this Psalm 46.10, this is the context to Psalm 46.10 that says, Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46 is talking about certainty in the storm, peace in the eye of the storm. That is the confident rest you have with the Almighty. Christian, that is the power contained in just one verse of Scripture. Now, I understand that this peace is hard even in the best of times, right? This peace is hard in the best of our times. One could suggest this kind of peace almost these days just feels elusive and unattainable. I mean, in this era and environment of COVID-19, it just seems to be the elusive thing, peace. Well, Christian, it is not. Peace is offered, it's accessible, and it is certain with God. And that said, we're faced with a response as we close. How do we live in that kind of peace? Maybe you're asking yourself that now. You see Psalm 55, 22, you see your God in a new way, but you say, how do I live? How do I practically live that? It's so hard to live in peace with all that's going on around. The volume just turned way up. Let's consider some practical applications as we close right here. Some running starts for you, if you will, in this time of pandemic for the worried, for the worried. Let me give you just four very simple and straightforward applications that flow out of God's word. Number one, prioritize praise, prioritize praise. In times of crisis, we have this thing that we do. Right When something happens in our life, when there's a crisis, our petition and our default is what? Petition. That's petition. We want to ask God for all these things that he needs to do. When, when things are going badly, we default, our prayers default into requests. That's what we naturally do. And of course, hear me, that's not wrong. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But like seeking God first, it may be wrong if that's the only thing we're doing in our prayers. We do bring our requests to the Lord. However, it's a problem if those petitions are at the expense of praise. 1 Thessalonians 5, before praying without ceasing, we all know that, right? Pray without ceasing. Do you know that before that request, we're told to do this in verse 16. Before you do that, it says this, just two words, rejoice always. Rejoice always. That's the manner of your prayer. Beginning, ending, woven with praise. That's the instruction. Beloved, we are called first and foremost to praise God. And I think that simple test for our prayers would be helpful. Are our prayers laced with praise? A mind that is thankful and always reminding itself of why it's thankful. Listen to me, Christian. That kind of thankful mind has no room or less room to worry. It's just a simple matter of real estate. The more you crowd your mind with praise, the less room there is for worry. So prioritize praise. Two, consider God's present care. Consider God's present care. Christian, we could also call this considering the trees through the forest. Considering the trees through the forest. You take thousands, is this not true? Thousands of breaths and steps each day. How do you do that? How do you do that? You eat food, you have clothes, you sleep under a roof. How so? How so? My friend, you have lived, that's right, you're alive, two months during a global pandemic. How? You're still alive, and for most of you, you're not only alive, as I talk to you, you're alive and well. You're alive and well. I want you to stop right now. I want you to stop. 
And I want you to see the details. That's right. I want you to stop and smell the roses. I want you to look around at your surroundings and recognize all the ways that God is caring for you right now. I'm not talking about Monday or Saturday. I mean right now, this morning. He's caring for you. That heart is beating. Those lungs are pulsing. You're breathing air. You have all you need right now. Right now. Consider how God has always and is, here it is, caring for you right now. So we prioritize praise We consider God's present care. Thirdly, we live in today. This is really connected to the last one. We live today. We live today. Psalm 118.24, you know this. It says this. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in tomorrow. Is that what it says? No. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In today. In today. That points to today. That means we live today. We don't live tomorrow. That means we don't wonder about tomorrow. We experience today. Our beloved Jean, we all love Jean, right? In her 90s, one of our own family members. She reminds me this every time I ask her how she's doing. You know what she says? Jason, I woke up. I woke up. God gave me today. And Jason, I'm going to enjoy today. I mean, what a precious saint. What a response Because it's a super biblical response. Gene's focus is today. Today. Beloved, let me tell you this. Do not sacrifice today on the altar of tomorrow. Do not sacrifice today on the altar of tomorrow. How many days, how many days have you been robbed of wondering what tomorrow will be like? I know it's been true for me. Listen, as I think about my thought life often, especially during trying times, how many minutes, hours wasted away because I'm fretting about tomorrow versus enjoying what God's given me today. Matthew 6, by the way, we talked about it earlier, that passage where Jesus teaches us about worries ends with this in verse 34. Listen to this. Therefore, do not, at the therefore with all the provision of God, do not be anxious about tomorrow, For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Wow. Sufficient for the day, Jesus says. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. That means, beloved, tomorrow will have its own burdens. And in those days, we'll give them to the Lord. But for today, we have our sufficiency in Christ, but we have our sufficiency in its own trouble. That means today has all that we need in terms of trouble. I heard it said by a good teacher recently, today has its own trouble. Worrying about tomorrow is just double trouble. You're just adding another layer onto yourself. We're doing ourselves in fretting about tomorrow. So we prioritize praise. We consider God's present care. We live in today. And finally, we focus on others. You focus on others. It was this past winter right here on Wednesday nights, remember in our study, David took us through culture. Do you remember that wonderful study? David took us through culture, and one thing he reminded us of, and it stuck out to me in the middle of that study, he said that unhealthy worry, one of the the plagues on modern man, is self-focus. We are so plagued by self-focus, we can't stop. In fact, I believe he said, we have a pandemic of self-focus today, and that was before COVID-19 hit. And that is just so true today. Listen, this is, we live in an age where everything orbits around you. You've heard me say it so many times. All the outputs in society orbit around you. 
around you. I mean, we're so self-focused that I would submit we can't see beyond ourselves because we're in the way. We can't see beyond our present circumstances. We're crowded out by us, by us. And I mean, the more we're focused on self, it stands to reason. The more that I am my own obsession, it means more that I'm going to obsess about myself with my burdens and cares and anxieties that orbit around me. And all of a sudden, I get outputs like this. Am I going to be okay? What if I get it? What will I do tomorrow? And on and on it goes. Friend, how much of your worry is centered on you? Paul was anxious. Remember Paul's anxieties? But was he anxious for his own stead? No, he was anxious for what? Others, the churches. He was anxious for you and me. It was the Apostle Paul. Paul was concerned for others. He wasn't focused on how he'd make out, how his tomorrow would look. No, he knew whose he was and he knew where he was going. That kind of assurance. And that was, by the way, all that Paul needed. I think about Philippians 1.21. What did he say? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We know that. But then he underpins it with what? What does he say? To remain in the flesh, verse 24, Philippians 1, is more necessary on your account. In other words, he's living for the churches. He's living for the sake of others. The reason Paul had such peace, even with his own burdens, is that he lived for others. He lived outwardly, not inwardly. He lived outwardly. Christian, cast your burden on the Lord and focus on others. Look to them. Look to them. 